Hello and welcome to Reactive Spin the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and in this episode we will explore the European Economic Security Strategy. So join us as we discuss what it entails and why is China indirectly at the heart of the discussion. On Tuesday, June 20th, the European Union introduced a plan to enhance economic security. The aim is to persuade all 27 EU member states to implement stricter regulations on exporting and transferring technologies that could potentially be used for military purposes by third countries. The plan suggests stronger export controls and screening of outbound investments related to critical technologies. The document refrains from explicitly mentioning China, but emphasizes the importance of collaborating with compatible nations and implementing a de-risking strategy to reduce dependence on China in economic matters. Now, this topic is more than just economic matters, as it includes geopolitical and technological implications as well. But first, let's start with breaking down what is the European Economic Security Strategy and what is its purpose. So the economic security strategy is a communication by the commission uh, in which the commission basically lays out its thinking on the on on economic security for for the EU. Janos Schellenbach Aman is Euractiv's economy and jobs editor. Um, so economic security is is a concept that has gained popularity in recent times because we have uh, realized that The economy um, has security implications, um, national security implications. It's not only about uh, uh, getting rich or not being poor anymore. Um, so what, what the commission looks at in specific here is risks uh, to, to supply chains. Uh, the supply chains can be disrupted, as we have seen in the past years, uh, a specific focus there on, on energy. Um, then the cybersecurity of uh, critical infrastructure. Um, we can think maybe of the electric, uh, electrical grid or, or mobile networks. Um, then technology leakage, so that some essential technologies that uh, European companies are developing, that it leaks outwards to, to other uh, uh, countries. And then uh, fourth, the, the fact that economic interdependencies can be weaponized. Um, we have seen that, for example, between Lithuania and China, when Lithuania allowed Taiwan to open a representative office in, in, in Vilnius, um, and then China basically blockaded uh, Lithuanian imports and exports. The, the strategy is still quite vague. It's a conversation starter. Um, it's it's really just laying out the thinking because there will be a European Council where the European heads of state uh, will will meet next week, and there this this should basically start the conversation and lay the groundwork um, for them to to then give a more specific guidance also. And the key words in this plan are de-risking economic dependencies. But what does this mean in practice? Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year was quite the wake-up call, I think, especially when it comes to energy dependency, which largely now has been um, mostly cut. Alexandra Przozowski is Euractiv's Global Europe editor. However, what the Russia case did was to make everybody more aware that that's not the only uh, weak link that exists. So the proposal does not mention China directly, and the Commission is very careful not to say exactly that. 
but uh, decisions relating to economic security that will be taken um, with such a geopolitical filter, um, for sure, Beijing is one of the key actors in that thinking. It was quite interesting to see an exchange um, earlier this week during the presentation of the strategy document um, by commission officials. A colleague in the press asked if, if, it, if it's not China who's meant to be um, targeted with this, what actors else are meant? And it was quite telling. I mean, US competition chief Margarete Vestager was fairly candid by saying that the obvious candidates are obviously China and Russia. So I think there should be no illusions whom this is being addressed towards, although um, some some in the commission might not want to say it out loud. In some sense, I think what what this security strategy essentially is, is, is a first crystallization of what Commission President von der Leyen said a few weeks ago um, in her speech about the EU having to de-risk um, from China. Although the EU wants to strengthen the Union's economy, the plan is quite vague with obstacles and clashes. There is also some uh, a bit of a clash because it is where national security clashes with um, with the market and the single market is basically that's a new competence, but national security is clearly national competence. So. Um, Member states are reluctant to give up uh, to, to give up uh, power there. Um, so what the Commission is now focusing on is is uh, or it stresses that we need to get to a common understanding of risks. That's what they say. They cannot already propose uh, a lot of policies because if member states do not have the same understanding of risks, then these policies will not uh, be implemented. Um, so it it has a, a lot of language in this communication about all the things that the EU is already doing and that it's important to also keep to improve trade and to have more trade relations. Um, but the, the more specific parts, uh, I would say, is that it wants to list, to have a, to start a list of strategic technologies that are critical for economic security. Um, on on the basis of this list, then uh, it, it it can it can maybe propose policies. And the other complicated field is technology. The Commission plans to produce a further list with EU members of technologies critical to economic security, but the EU seems to be way behind in the race of the techno-industrial leadership. But I think we really need to focus on one of the main causes of, of a lot of these uh, risks, which for me is really the great power race for techno-industrial leadership, which has uh, significant implications for European security. Tobias Gerke is Senior Policy Fellow at European Council on Foreign Relations. And the EU isn't really running that race for, for techno-industrial leadership, I think. Uh, we have to see that China has a quest to become a technology superpower. Uh, on the one hand, and on the other hand, the United States uh, appears determined to prevent uh, that from happening. And that dynamic will fundamentally reshape the global economy, it already is today, and it will also challenge European security in that new uh, economy. So rather than, than separate economic security from national security concerns, um, that that was really some of the key problems in, in, in this dynamic of the economic security strategy. 
I think Europeans must together define where the loss of, of key assets and critical technologies would harm European security. The EU member states need to define in which areas they hold a critical technology edge in terms of research, innovation, and production capacities, and then organize their technology, their trade, and their security instruments to both protect and to enhance that edge, that advantage. To lay a strong groundwork for negotiations in the techno-industrial competition, the EU must prioritize acquiring extensive knowledge about industries and supply chains. Also, more knowledge about industry and their supply chains really allows for more leverage in negotiations in this new age of techno-industrial competition. So it's important to gather intelligence. Uh, getting this intelligence, this industrial intelligence, is really a precondition for but more economic security, I think. And how we pool this intelligence that both the Commission collects Uh, through some instruments, but also the member states collect through their security instruments. So how do we bring this intelligence together and interpret it in, in meaningful ways is one of the biggest challenges and, and tasks, I think, going, going, going forward. You're listening to Euractiv's Beyond the Byland podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euractiv.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can listen to our tech, agri-food and health podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcast at euractiv.com. The EU will also have to revise the regulation for the foreign direct investment screening. It wants to revise this regulation by the end of the year to more effectively tackle problems like maybe a Chinese uh, company acquiring um, uh, an important European company. Um, then it also wants to propose a revision of the export controls framework. It wants to more effectively control which kinds of um, goods Uh, are exported from the EU. This has been made obvious like in, in the sanctions, in the war, that you have to be... Uh, well, it's quite hard to, to effectively control what is going on and what's, what, what, what can actually be used then militarily as well. And third, there is an initiative on outbound investment. So outbound investment is investments that go from Europe to other places, Let's say because that's that's the main target is China, of course. So, um, a European company uh, that invests in China, um, and if it's a important European company for for some technological reason, then um, the EU wants to have some control over over that, um, also to prevent the t technology leakage, for example. But there, the, the commission is still very vague. So it says it wants an initiative. It does not say anything about, like, it will be a regulation or it will be a directive, which would be legally binding. So there we see this clash between um, national and, and European competence. And which model is the EU following, as an example, to establish the European Economic Security Strategy? So when the commissioners presented this plan, they, they referred a couple of times to, to Japan 
and Japan is viewed a bit as a um, forerunner in this field. It has similar problems to the EU uh, because it is allied to the US, but it also has a strong market with with China as as the EU. For the EU, uh, China is important. Uh, I mean, for Japan, China is even more important. I mean, it's much, much closer. Um, but still, you also want to keep the connection with the US uh, and you ideally want to have a closer connection with the US for, for all the security reasons. Uh, so what Japan did, they they have a chapter on economic security in their new national security strategy. They have uh, now a minister of economic security as well and they they also have uh, a law on economic security where they have a, a mixture of um of binding measures for uh important uh, big companies uh for example companies that are important for infrastructure like airlines something like this for example these companies might not be able to use some softwares for example if they are yeah maybe maybe they can't use uh, Alibaba so now these are examples it's not exactly like this but the 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 law makes it possible for the government to mandate uh certain um steps in the name of security um to for for the the big important companies and and there's also uh, a lot of subsidies in there uh for for companies to be more independent from uh, from China, for example, in the field of uh, uh, critical raw materials, um, to so so that companies can invest in in other companies outside the China to to secure their supply. Alex, where do you expect this debate to lead geopolitically in the near future? Are all member states on board with this? So, in general, I think we should view this economic strategy in the wider context of EU internal debates about China that has been going on for the last few months. Um, EU leaders are expected to discuss this strategy um, at their summits uh, later this month, but they also are expected to have a strategic discussion about China. Um, So I think obviously both things cannot be really discussed separately. So with the strategy and some of the tools proposed, um, they use really the EU executive is really entering a shaky ground because granting export licenses and weighing security interests are national competencies that member states would really want to retain. So there's quite some distance still between Brussels and some of the big member states, especially in how serious the risk from China actually is. Um, the EU seems to prefer a tougher line. There has been um, a paper circulated uh, earlier this year on what issues that could be done. But um, some of the heavyweight countries are not quite on the same page yet. It was quite interesting to see that the paper came on the same day as as the German-Chinese governments held consultations in Berlin. So while the commission was proposing de-risking, Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz was rolling out a red carpet for Chinese uh, Prime Minister Li Keqiang. So what I think is really interesting to watch is that the commission um, has said that it wants to work with like-minded partners, which would mean India, Japan, the US and the G7, um, each of which is actually focusing on creating its own economic security strategy. Um, and in that sense, also kind of looking at China and this. So 
um, I think the debate in the next few weeks could be could be quite interesting to see how much of the language is really changing on China. And um, I think the first indication will be really the summit next week. And Janos, what's your take on this? Because it really looks like uh, this is very important for the EU, but at the same time, not everyone is on board. I think in Brussels, the thinking really is that that uh, we need something like this, but uh, then it's it's all about the specifics, right? Uh, some are afraid that this is just a, another push towards more protectionism, towards less trade, and the EU also in Brussels is is uh, still quite still clinging on to to this multilateral trade order uh, in which everybody is trading freely, and that that's. That's the big thing. So there we have a clash within Brussels itself. And then, of course, there's some member states who are more um, active on this economic security front. The, it's, it's France, for example, that want much more active industrial policy, who want less dependency on, on other, other countries, that want more autarky. Uh, and then there's the... The other member states, um, for example, Germany, who are free traders, who are very dependent on China um, for for many of their companies and do not want to risk um, the the revenue coming from there. Um, and then there's also the smaller member states that are afraid that if everything gets top down mandated, they will lose out. They will lose out the the possibilities for that open that are opened up through free trade for them. I am Evi Kiori, and this was Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit Euractiv to stay on top of the latest news. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself with the help of Alexandra Brzozowski and Janos Alembach-Aman. Thank you for listening, and until next week.